There's a lot of unknowns when it comes to being a guide. Let's help the birding community make a big stride. Thank you for tuning into Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on birding topics. We are definitely not experts and anything that we discuss that might be controversial. We want you to remember that there are our own opinions and they might be different from yours. And I feel like this episode is the controversial one for the year. Yeah, so there's there's going to be a lot of opinions, probably. So just keep it together, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, birding news. Something less controversial, but just as divisive. So I really only have one birding news. <clears throat> uh, I have some Hannah and Eric news, but the first one is birding news. Mm-hmm. And this one is the, about a Ross's goal. It's this tragic tale of a Ross's goal in the Seattle area. Um, just like yesterday. Yeah, it was just like yesterday, December 1st or so, that a Ross's goal showed up in in the Seattle area, and a couple people went out and saw it, and there were like text chains and like emails and things like, hey, everybody, go check out this Ross's goal, and then as a, pe- a couple people were watching it, a bald eagle swooped in <laughs> and picked it up, and it was no longer... Nature. Nature. In action. So not not as uh, not as traumatic as the the crake over in uh, New York, yeah, with a car strike, but uh, still kind of upsetting for those that wanted to chase it. Yeah, but, uh, this one's more natural death, but it's still still no longer with us. Yep. So um, aside from that, like I said, there's some Hannah and Eric news. Uh, the first one is that we <laughs> that we have a recommendation that we mentioned in our last episode. Yes. That um, we had from Michelle who like gave us this wonderful review, and then we couldn't find it anymore. So <clears throat> we were so happy when she decided to repost it. So Eric... she wasn't she wasn't withdrawing it. She was she she had an issue with her Facebook. So it's she was she was it wasn't us. It was Facebook an issue. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's good. Thank you, Michelle. And here yeah. it is. Um, must have accidentally deleted when my Facebook got hacked, but totally love your podcast. You've truly encouraged birding in my family. As stated in previous in my previous recommendation, my kids are obsessed along with me now, wanting scopes for Christmas. Your skin and avian adventure was so great to hear about my daughter and I even went birding at the Delaware Water Gap, doing a little birding while we hiked. The bird feeders right outside my TV I keep the The bird feeders right outside keep the TV off and the bird watching on. Ah, I, I'm having such a hard time talking. <laughs> and I always eagerly await your latest podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. We are listening and we love it. And we love you guys. Congrats, Eric, on selling some of your bird photography. Also, now... Okay, now I can go back to listening to the rest of your latest podcast. So I, I assume she was writing this during listening to last... <laughs> after we teased last her. Time. After we teased her from the last one, yes. Well, thank you so much. Yes, thank I, you so much. I'm sorry Eric wasn't able to read that coherently. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a good reader. Like, like I've yes, said a couple you are. times. you can do it. I believe in you. I, I'm learning how to read, and we'll all figure it out at some point. Wow. So <laughs> thank you so much, Michelle, and everybody else in the past who has reviewed us. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, you you help us get through the hard times. Yeah. The hard podcasting times. The hard times. podcasting times. Um, when the weather's bad and we're not outside birding. Yeah. So the other thing was that we posted on, I, I joked on Twitter when I posted about our latest episode saying it's better than Eye of the Tiger to get you pumped up to go burning. And um, one of our friends, Drew Weber, who works with eBird, mm-hmm. he challenged us 
um, saying, in that vein, how about a segment on the best pump-up jams for different types of birding? So we took that challenge. Um, we're not completely finished with it. I'd like to come up with like a solid playlist, but here's what we have so far. We, f we found a few good songs. Some of them might be explicit, so be careful when you go and listen to them. I think I will try to put links, YouTube links, to all of these. I know one of them's not on YouTube, so at least most of them will have links on uh, in show our show notes. notes. But uh, we figured a few of these songs are pretty good. They're pretty pretty entertaining. Um, and we like have... we said, there some of them are explicit yeah. um, and not safe for work. So you might consider looking at these at home, maybe yeah. away from children first. Yeah, put the headphones in first before you I bl mean, blast it around your neighborhood. It depends on how you raise your kids. I mean, Who knows? we're not here to talk about that. Yeah. So we uh, we had a couple different categories of uh, types of birding or uh, things, and then we have the name of the band, and then the name of the song. So the first one we have here is uh, when you're out doing field work, um, we thought the um, song by M.I.A., uh, Bird Song, the Diplo remix, was uh, was pretty good for that. <laughs> um, when you're out going for a big day with some friends, the Sweatshop Boys Bird Song is a classic that would be great for that to get you all pumped up. Yeah, so I, th I think that's good because you can keep trying to figure out the lyrics as you go throughout yeah, the day. Yeah, it's kind take, of a Take a whole day to figure it all out, you know. Man, it's a hardcore rap. Yeah, so um, going on an owl prowl, you have the Beatles' Blackbird. Um, for a road trip, you have Leonard Skinner's Freebird. Yeah, you know, because you could just put that thing on repeat and you wouldn't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're out, out chasing uh, Trashman's uh, Surfing Bird, very repetitive songs. <laughs> Keep try to keep you sane from that is like or such keep a, you insane while you're chasing. It's out, such uh, a hype song. Yeah. <laughs> um. So if you're headed to like festivals or you're at a festival, we thought the Eels song "I Like Birds" is a good one. That one's uh, featured in the movie The Big Year, so that's a that's that's where I first heard that song. Um. I guess urban birding was like bir birding around in the city, kind of walking around town. Um. The Bondi Hipsters, the Ibis song. If you haven't heard this song, you definitely have to listen to it. I, I think it's also called uh, A Song About Birds or something like that. Something like that. It's been stuck in my head all day. I know. He, he's, it's an Australian guy that uh, created this song all about how he hates Ibis. It's hilarious. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and then if you're going seabirding, like if you're doing like a stationary like watch or something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like sea watching or uh, standing a headland, something like that. Yeah, we thought uh, Seagull Stop It Now by Bad Lip Reading was probably yeah. <laughs> one of the best ones for that. So um, if you have any other suggestions of what type of song should be on our Crazy Birds song list, let us know. Um, email us or message us or something. I think we'll probably make a blog post about that so yeah. everybody can download their personal um, song birding list. And they don't have to be songs about birds, but... Um, all, all of these songs are specifically about birds, except for Seagull Stop It Now. Like, that's kind of just... It's about it's birds. A, it's a hilarious song. All, <laughs> all the other ones are about a particular bird. I guess Free Birds, not really, but... So half of these songs are about <laughs> birds specifically. The other ones just kind of mention birds. Yeah. But bonus points if you include a song that you send to us that is about birds. Yeah, so, something like Bird Song or uh, um, the Ibis Song that specifically mentions individual species yes. <laughs> that, that are appropriately named like not just like seagulls well and we talked about it in our last episode but eric what are we drinking today so today we were lazy and bought a single six pack 
of uh, one type of beer instead of buying a whole bunch of different beers. We got um, the Deschutes um, Breweries Deschutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a American Pilsner. Is that what? Yeah, it's, it's called? an American Pilsner, which is uh, kind of a it's a lighter Pilsner. Really, uh, kind of if you're not really into craft beer, it's a good introduction to craft beer, where it has more flavor and more uh, more of a bite and a little bit higher alcohol content than something like like a Bud Light or something like that, but it's it's kind of a dipping your toe into the craft beers. So an American Pilsner, the Deschutes by Deschutes. And from Bend, Oregon. From Bend, yes. Which is real close to us. Yeah. Only like four hours. I like it. It's my go-to when we fly out of Portland International Airport because they have a Deschutes brewery at the airport. Yeah. And this is generally what I get. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty good, pretty good Pilsner. Yeah. Um, and then I think our last thing before we get into it, well, I guess two things. Um, for who listened the most to our last episode, da, 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 da. Um, we our winners are San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. Which is really cool. Thank you, I San think Antonio. The first time San Antonio's won? Yeah, but you know, actually, there's been a lot of people in this last episode from listening from New, the state of New York. Yeah, there was two different cities in New York that were no, there's top like, of the charts, wasn't there? Oh, well, there's like four that are in the top ten of listeners. Yeah. Um, but... Manhattan and Baldwin, Texas, both um, are tied neck and neck for second place. Yeah, for so listeners. two different cities in in New York. So I mean, you could say New York's the biggest listener, but Texas, but, I'm sure is. I don't know. New York <laughs> versus Texas. New York versus Texas here. That's not usually a competition that most people have. Yeah. Um. So then, I guess getting into the meat of the episode, um, this episode is about women and field guiding. And if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram or just troll our website for funsies, you might see <laughs> that I wrote an article. Uh, a blog post. A blog post. I don't know why I'm calling it an article. I was calling it an expose. <laughs> <laughs> you're, um, you're not exposing anyone, but... I'm exposing. <laughs> you're, you're exposing that people don't really know. I'm exposing the truth, man. <laughs> the truth. Get yeah. it out there. So, and I don't know why. I mean, I'm not getting paid to do any of this. I'm doing this for you guys. And also because I like writing and I don't have a reason to write right now. Yeah. Uh, right, right now. Right, right now. So I was looking at my favorite Facebook page, uh, World Girl Birders, and somebody had mentioned that they were leafing through a magazine, a birding magazine, and they saw an ad for a field guiding company and they posted a picture of it and I think mm -hmm. it had like six um, guides that you could potentially hire at this company listed and all six of them were men. And, uh, that individual went on to leaf through the rest of the magazine and found just an overall lack of women in these ads. And I went a step further and I think she did too in a different thing, mm -hmm. but counted how many like mentions there were of women versus men versus, you know, and minorities. And just got to say it, like, white men are definitely mentioned the most frequently. Yeah, in for sure. magazines, you know, have their images in magazines, writers, etc. And, um, I mean, there are a lot of women birders in the world. Uh, over 50% of U.S. Uh, birders who are tallied in the 2011 U.S. Fish and Wildlife Survey about wildlife watching and and recreation, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. more, the birders that were identified in it, more than half of them were women. And that doesn't have 
it doesn't have it split out between birder and bird watcher, even though which it, was pointed out to us. Yes, which was pointed out to us. I, I mean, just all in all, there's an overall lack of women participating in field guiding, and this is something that you know I've complained to Eric in the past about like why aren't there more women doing this or this or why you're shaking your cane at me <laughs> well, I'm shaking my cane <laughs> and you know I not that I necessarily want to be a trip guide because I feel like that's a lot of stress that I don't necessarily want and I also have a good gig here at the hotel and like I love doing this um but I would just love to see more women doing this sort of especially thing especially if they want if yes if, I, if, I don't if women want to do it they should be doing it yeah it shouldn't be there shouldn't be Regardless of anything, there shouldn't be people sitting around wanting to do something and not doing it because there's some sort of obstacle in the way. Exactly. If you want to do it, you should do it. Yeah. You should have the ability to be able to learn how and do it. So long story short, I posted on World Girl Birders and said, what barriers do you all see as to why you aren't guiding if you want to guide? Um, and just had a ton of responses. And they were very insightful and just, you know, things that I had never considered because like, we're all different. We all grow up differently. We all have, we're from different places, have different perspectives and viewpoints and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. We're all very different. And so it's great to be able to go onto a forum like that and ask a question and just have so many responses that are all so different from each other, but a lot of them echoing the same thing. Yeah. And so a lot of the stuff that you wrote in, in the um, blog post isn't going to apply to everyone. Exactly. And... There's going to be things that were omitted either because people didn't get them to you in time, they didn't tell you until after you'd written it, or they just didn't, like, they, there wasn't enough of them there. So there's things that people run into that weren't mentioned. There's things that people run into that, or things that were mentioned that people, other people haven't seen. But it's kind of like this... What you put together was kind of a synthesis of what you had seen personally, what you'd seen from the responses on Facebook from that, and then what you've seen from talking to other field guides, like talking to field guides at festivals and other people, field guides that we know personally. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so just overall want to say that this does not apply to everybody. And, that's, and we're not trying to throw anyone under the bus. No, we're not. Because, no, no field guide company or anything in particular. Yeah, we don't wanna because we want to disparage names. We want to like help improve. And I'm sure most of these companies want to do the same thing. Yeah, We had definitely. a number of people say that they have tried to recruit women for certain things and just haven't had a response, which um, I, I thought was really interesting because, honestly, for field guide applications, I've never seen a listing for one. And I say this a couple times in the article that... Um, I thought you had to be recruited to be a guide. Mm -hmm. All of the guides that I know are excellent birders, and I just figured that they knew somebody, and that's how they got into it. Yeah. I didn't even realize that there was an application. I should have been putting in my resume for this sort of thing <laughs> if I want to be a part of it. And so there's that. So we'll include the article in the show notes, so I want you to check it out. If you would like to, please leave any reviews. I've had a number of responses from different folks. Some of them positive, some of them critical, which, of course, that's how it's going to be. But yeah. I have been so happy. Well, people, if people aren't critical of things, then how, the truth doesn't come out. How like, that's, dare you criticize me? That, well, that's like, negative reviews for us, being critical of articles. That's, yeah. that's science. That's how things move forward. That's how you get the truth out there. Yes. And I, you know, I thought it was very nice that the people that were critical... They weren't like critical they of me. Jerks. 
about it. <laughs> they were just like, well, what about this? Have you considered this? Mm-hmm. Which I am not being paid to write this. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I only have so many resources um, that I can get myself without like, you know, spending, dedicating tons and tons of time to it, which I would like to, but that's just not my reality. Well, and we also don't have access to peer-reviewed journals for the most part. Yeah. It's, we, we, we can sneak our way around using old, uh, old, uh, college email addresses, but kind of hard to get into them. Yeah. And, um, so a lot of it is like kind of just generalized. Like I, I didn't really have a sociologist help me out with this or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or any of those. You should have had a psychiatrist help you. <laughs> I need that all the time. But anyways, um, I did have somebody respond who was a psychologist, Catherine, and she said something that I thought was really interesting because I feel like it does apply to me. Um, but she said that women tend to be risk averse and are reluctant to put themselves forward for fear of rejection. And I know that is something that definitely applies to my life. And I hope that doesn't stop you in yours. So, um, yeah, check out the article. Let us know what you think. A lot of people have been really positive about it. Um, one of our friends even said that it did after either that article or, you know, the conversations on world girl birders. There, there was a few conversations. It, it wasn't just, it wasn't one just thing me. you said. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was a post that initiated that got you thinking about it. And then you posted something and then someone else posted. There was a, there was a few, there was three or four posts in a row within a week that were all about this topic. Yeah, and they said that because of the conversations they've in the guiding company that our friend works for, he said that they've seen an increase in interest from women. So that's awesome. Yeah, applications um, going in. So that's yeah, that's, that's awesome. great. So uh, that's that, and we ho- I hope you like it, or you know maybe it speaks to you. If it doesn't, you know I'm sorry. I guess <laughs> let us know. Let us let us know if you have a different different uh, view. Yeah, uh, this was. There's 4,000 people in that, that Facebook group, so I was hoping to get a good substantial amount yeah. of opinions, and I think we did. So, um, the episode today, we talked with three incredible ladies, women, <laughs> um, at the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival, all of which are guides in different areas. Different areas of the country or the world. And I almost I want to say, like, different capacities, yeah, ex- too. Yeah, they're all, they are also different like i don't know if levels is the right word but it's it's like different uh lengths of time places yeah it's different guide they're they're women that are doing guiding differently each one yeah so um that's what we have for you today so our first one is our our new friend Lori foss yeah yeah so we met Lori foss this year she uh she was super awesome so I've, I feel like I've seen her on Facebook a couple times, kind of around. And she posts all the time on TextBirds, too. Yeah, she posts on TextBirds a lot. So, and d- never met her in person till this year. I met her in person, and she was awesome. She's super energetic, super positive. Probably the most positive and energetic guide that we've ever guided with. Yeah, it was really, like we said in our last episode, it was really a joy to guide with her. Yeah, so we, we guided with her at Benson. Spent a whole day hanging out with her, hanging out with 40 other people, but <laughs> with her, too. <laughs> and uh we saw a ton of birds and had a good time and then after um at the end of that day is uh, when we got to sit down and do a little bit of talking with her and see uh what her experience is being a guide and what she's uh what she's seen and how she how she got into it and what she what she likes about guiding yeah so here's Lori. okay 
Um, thank you so much, Lori, for joining us. Um, please just tell us about yourself, how long you've been birding, what you do. What's, what's the story of Lori? The story of Lori? <laughs> well, I have been birding since I was in high school. My high school biology teacher had a field biology course that I took from him. And part of it included looking at the birds, and that's what I sparked on. And he was a birder. And so I asked him what I needed in order to learn more about the birds, and he gave me a golden guide field guide Classic. and said, that's all you need. Except that's not all you need, obviously. <laughs> but I read that book cover to cover that night, and I've been reading field guides ever since, birding most of the time ever since, a few years interrupted. Um, so I've been birding a long time because now I'm old. And I... Uh, for work, I still work full-time. I work for the Shield Ranch in Austin, Texas. It's a private ranch held in conservation easements, and I'm the administrative and IT coordinator and the chief birding officer. So that I do get to get out on the ranch and lead birding field trips, and it's, it's just my dream job. It's ideal. So is chief birding officer part of your job title actually in there, or is that a self-appointed? It's adopted. I made it, it up. You made it up and, and wrote it down. And you're good. They tell everybody now <laughs> that I'm the chief birding officer, so it's going on my next business card. There we go. <laughs> CBO. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, you you got do you guide mostly just at festivals and at the ranch, or do you do other stuff? I, I took out this about? year off, but prior to this year, I was leading field trips for JB Journeys through Central America. Twice a year right. because I do work full time. Yeah, but I did work out some extra vacation time at work, so I'm able to. I was able to lead field trips twice a year through Central America, which I adored. Yeah, and I lead field trips for our local Audubon, Travis mm -hmm. Audubon, and I teach classes that all involve field trips. So I lead at the ranch and at the ranch where I live. Also, mm -hmm. I lead field trips. So that sounds that sounds like fun. So out of all of all of those Central America, Rio Grande Valley, Travis County, every, everywhere. Where's your favorite place to take people and show off? Show show off what the world has. Yeah, Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, large for for various reasons. First of all, it's it's the first uh, place that I think someone who's never been to the tropics should go. It's not technically Central America; it's the West Indies. <laughs> But it's small enough to have a certain number of birds, so you don't get overwhelmed as a new birder. Yeah, you don't go to Ecuador with 5,000 birds. Exactly, <laughs> not for your first trip. And Trinidad, of course, has the Acerite Nature Center, mm -hmm. which is um, world-renowned, and the, the world-famous veranda is world-famous for a reason. <laughs> it's spectacular. And then on, Trin on Tobago, I stay at the Cuffee River Retreat, which is on an old coffee plantation, and it's just the most peaceful, loving, wonderful place to be. So I, I love that trip. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I neither one. You you went to on a cruise, didn't you? I but, did not go there though. Oh. So I, we've never even been to Trinidad. We've been to Central America. We've been to South America. We've never been to Trinidad and Tobago. I recommend it. <laughs> we need I to go. I Scarlet Ibises. Oh, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how has trip guiding changed since you started? I would say there are more women leading tours and that they are more trusted 
I think when I first started, it was, I don't want to say a novelty, but, you know, it, people did not really expect that the woman on the tour at the front of the line was the field trip leader. Oh, she got out in front of the field trip leader somehow. And now, I think, largely due to these festivals, women are expected to be field guides. And in fact, when I talk to participants, many of them prefer to ask questions of the female field trip leader because they're more thoughtful and they don't go right into, pardon me, mansplaining <laughs> mode. Oh, it's he does I, it all the time. I do it all the time, and <laughs> Hannah calls me on it, and I... And then he gets mad, and then I call him out on it. I, on the outside, I get mad, and then I realize, I'm like, okay, I was being a, a jerk and an a-hole, and I need to stop he, it. And yeah, even men don't like mansplaining. <laughs> no, no, nobody likes mansplaining. It's, yeah. So, I, I think the that women in the field guiding profession now are more trusted and expected. Okay, so that's pretty much been your experience is that people have been open and want to ask you questions and you're pretty open too. I mean, yeah. you're you're somebody that looks like you're very friendly and I want to come up and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you just walked up to us the other day and said, hey, you know, we're guiding together and you're very friendly. It's like, okay, this is going to be a I good know, day. I know, we're like, we're going to have fun with Lori. <laughs> we had a good day too. Oh, we did, we did. definitely. Um, so, like... To get into a deeper question, I guess, um, with um, women guiding and men guiding, there's obviously different tracks that you can get to it, different tracks you can get to becoming... That anybody. Be, that anybody, men, yeah. women, anything, can get to becoming a guide. Do you, have you seen or experienced or not experienced like different obstacles that have been placed in your way as a woman versus what a man would have had to deal with in order to get to the point where you're leading trips you're out there people are asking you questions any companies have done something or people just like like you were saying with the mansplaining like <laughs> i'll tell you the, the way that i got into leading field trips in central america was that i got laid off from my eight to five job mm -hmm. and i knew two women who ran a, a tourism company jb journeys Okay. And I went to them and said, I'm going to volunteer for you for a year. And if I don't, if I impact your business at all, you'll hire me and let me lead field trips for you. <laughs> and they said, okay. And I doubled their business. Oh, so, man. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started leading group birding field trips for them. So I made that happen. But, I, you know, I'm just that way. I'm not yeah. someone who's going to let something stop me. So many things would have stopped me years ago if they could have. And yeah. so I just, I've always moved things out of the way, made my own way. Yeah. So do you think there's, um, other than that, being very forthright, do you think there's any other special skills that um, people could bring to the table when they're looking to become guides? Absolutely. Not everyone is an extrovert. I pretty much peg the extrovert scale. <laughs> But even people who are not extroverts can really get along well with a small group. You don't have to be someone who can thrive in a party in order to be able to enjoy leading a small group on field trips. And there's, there are no barriers to learning all you need to learn to, to be a field guide. And so being able to be at the front of the, of the group 
and realizing that you're just another kid on the hike, you just happen to know where you're going, is, <laughs> is how you take on being a field guide. I've been fortunate to have Barry Lyon, who lives in Austin, put on a workshop for Travis Audubon guides, mm-hmm. leader, field trip leaders, on how to be a really great field guide, and really tremendous tips that came out of that. But, and not everybody has that, yeah. but you can learn to be a really great birder and pass those skills on to other people on your field trip. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you giving us um, a few minutes of your time and talking to us about this stuff. Yeah. It's my pleasure. So thank you so much, Lori, for talking with us. Yeah, it you... was it was. It was, it was a lot of fun guiding with you, mm-hmm. and then it was it was really nice to sit down and kind of get the get to hear the Lori, the Lori story. And what Lori says it just really inspires me to just go out and get it. Yeah, go just, out and get it, girl. Yeah, don't 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 wait around for it. Just if if that's what you want to do, just jump in two feet and just get it done. Yeah. So, um, hope that is somewhat inspirational to you all. Um, something that she said that's going to stick with me as leading <laughs> is just realizing you're another kid on the hike. You just know where you're going. Like, yeah. I want a tattoo of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good saying. I, I can't, did she, I couldn't tell, did she get that from someone or did she make that up? I don't is, know. Is, that, is that a Lori Foss original? I could I see know. that being one. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah, that was, that's a really good quote. Yeah. And if you get a chance to ever go out with Lori, definitely do it. Yeah, so Tra- Travis Audubon, she, she leads as Travis Audubon, so that's uh, right around the Austin area in Texas. And Shield Ranch, and also um, with JV Journeys. Yeah, so look, look her up and Lots of get, out, get out there and go birding with Lori. Yeah. So the second person we got, to, got a chance to sit down with that we wrangled into an interview uh, was uh, Louise. She, she's been guiding with Vent for, for a number of years now, and she, she was really interesting. She's, she's been guiding long enough in the States and then also um around the around the world that it was kind of like oh this is this would be the perfect person that she's she's been around for a little while so she's kind of seen some changes and kind of seen uh where things are going and how they're the different tracks things are on well and when we um were kind of thinking rolling you know rolling this episode over in our heads and Mm -hmm. figuring out what we wanted to do um i was looking through the field the guides that were going to be at the rio Grande valley festival at I trolled the the website and <laughs> I started reading about Louise and just her, like you said, her journey. And I, I did some additional research looking her up um, and all of the different things she's done in her life and how that's all related to birds. You know, I just really wanted to include her in this because she leads, she does art, she leads tours, she does children's uh, uh, summer camps mm-hmm. and guides at these festivals. Yeah, we, we could have... A full episode completely devoted to Luis, and I we we should. And it's, we could ne- about, next time we get a chance to sit down with Luis. And we could about any of these people. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, everybody has such an interesting story, but um, we're so glad that she. I, I just interrupted her and her husband Michael, <laughs> and like just pulled him aside, and I was like, "Hey, I want to talk to you." So I'm sorry for being um, obnoxious. <laughs> Hopefully we didn't pressure you too hard into doing this, yeah. but we pressured you just hard enough that you did sit down with us. Yes, so um, we hope you all enjoy uh, Louise. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we w- were so excited that you were willing to join us for a podcast interview. Um, so please, Louise, tell us about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do, how you start birding, kind of the, the story. 
The story. Okay. The story. My name is Louisa Midas, and I'm originally from the Philadelphia area, but I live in Cape May, and I've been there for all 30 years now, and I call it home. And It's a nice well, place to call home. Yeah, it is. <laughs> kind of a mecca for birders, and one of the reasons that I was able to become a birder a little bit later than most, by today's standards, you know, usually you start out really young, like Michael, my husband, started out when he was a little kid, but I was able to catch up in many ways, having only started in college, uh, because I live in Cape May, yeah. and the birds come to me, and I even have two children. They're, they're grown up now, but even as my children grew up, I was continuing to um, you know, hone my skills as a birder, because yeah. uh, you know I was so just in my backyard, and the people and the birds came to me, and I had lots of mentors. <laughs> That's nice. So um, you, you, were, you were guiding at the festival. Do you guide other places, other times oh, of the year? Yes. Well, this is my 20th festival <laughs> oh, uh, in Texas, and I've done many years in Florida as well. And, right. and the first festival that I did was Cape May. Uh, Cape May Bird Observatory in New Jersey Audubon has had festivals for over 40 years now, probably more than that. <laughs> and uh, I tell people my first love was New Jersey Audubon because that was my first employer as a naturalist uh, slash, um, let's see, I worked in the research department. I also ran the bookstore there. You wear a oh, lot of hats when you work for a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, but I would help run the festival there. So I'm familiar with festivals. Yeah. <laughs> but um, once I met Michael, we decided to have me um, do freelance work okay. uh, as he does. And um, I'm an artist and my degree is actually in fine art and I was able to do more artwork. And then my tour leading increased as well. Okay. So um, artwork, like you, I think I read it was illustrations, mm -hmm. is what, what you do. So what, Yeah, what I have a that? BFA from Tyler School of Art, Temple University's Art School in Philadelphia. Yeah. And um, I come from a family of artists. And um, even though my parents, well, my parents were really talented in art, but they didn't really utilize that. But my kids are both artists. One's a musician, mm -hmm. the other one's an artist and a biologist. Um, my ex-husband's an artist, and Michael's an artist. I'm an artist. So. <laughs> it just runs all right. around. And, you know, I, I, I actually used to do film work, but now it's uh, drawing and painting and um, illustration and uh, I'm known for my t-shirts, believe it or not, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. but I only sell them in Cape May, so you got to come to Cape May to get my t-shirts, because I have a little shop there. Like, so like on top of leading, yeah, I lead for Victor Emanuel Nature Tours, I do the festivals, and I run this store in Cape May, it's in a cooperative, so I don't have to be there oh. all the time, so I'm busy. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> sounds like yeah. it's just another excuse for us to have to go to Cape May. Yeah, Cape there you May. go. Like, we, didn't need, we already didn't, didn't have enough excuses yeah. to get up there. <laughs> So um, you said you uh, guide with Victor Emanuel. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your favorite trip that you guide? Wow. It doesn't have to be with Victor. Yeah. It, it well, be I mean, well, it's going to be with Victor yeah. because he has enabled us to see the world pretty much. I mean, I've been to Antarctica. Wow. One okay. of um, my regular trips to Galapagos were fabulous. I would put them pretty high up as my favorites. I thought I'd only need to go there once, but I've already gone there seven times and I'm looking forward to going again. I mean, every time I go somewhere, it's like, oh, that's great. But to tell you the truth, um, my favorite place to go other than Cape May is probably mm -hmm. Belize. Oh, cool. I've been to Belize every year for the last 
oh my gosh, over 20 years now, and I have a lot of friends there. And um, it, it's just a really welcoming country, a lot of diversity in both culture and bird life and, you know, history, all in a relatively small area that you can, you know, cover. And it's it's really a fairly nice small people. country. Yes, it is small. And it's funny, you know, New Jersey, people joke about New Jersey. It's kind of like that, too. You've got a lot of different habitats and a relatively small area that you can visit. Like we, when we do big days, you can get a lot of species. We did Cape May County once. We got 201 species in one day. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's another story. World Series of Birding. But we <laughs> yeah, we keep saying that's we're going to get up that. I know, seriously. I met my husband because of World Series of Birding. Oh, so really? Pete Dunn takes credit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's crazy. See, you said for you've been going to Belize for 20 years, leading, leading tours down there? Yeah. And Actually, you, more than that. More, more than 20 <laughs> Just years? thinking about that. Yeah, probably 25, yeah. So wow. how, how, how has guiding changed from, I'm, I'm sure, t- technology, like the way people, mm-hmm. what, what people are looking for, how they like well, demand things, like, like stuff like that. What's that changed over? Well, can, can um, you quantify it next year, Victor, not actually in two years from now, Victor is going to be celebrating his 45th anniversary All right. as having a tour company. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the first. Will Russell with Wings. Uh, Victor with uh, Victor Emanuel Nature Tours, mm-hmm. and then there were, you know, the Audubons, but there wasn't very much back then, yeah. and it was all new, and um, was, it was pretty awesome to watch the whole industry grow, yeah, cl- from so to say. Then yeah. to now, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and now all the lodges in the different countries and the leaders that are employed at those lodges, you've seen that here at the festival. Yeah. I mean, look at the Canopy family. Oh, They're seriously. fabulous. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, it's great that, and a, and a lot of them, I, I shouldn't say, well, it, it is, it's great the, the American birders went down there, illustrated the need, they mm-hmm. filled it, and now they're becoming self-sufficient. It's wonderful. Yeah. But we still go down there and visit them, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't not go when it's, yeah. when it's oh my God. Central yeah. and South America, yeah. you can't. I mean, we are still <laughs> taking groups to them, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, People can go on their own, but people also still like to travel as groups and come visit. Yeah, well, it, it does make it easier when you have like like we we don't usually travel like like that, but mm-hmm. I can I can completely understand mm-hmm. like you you're you've never been someplace yeah. and you want to take a bunch of people that you know mm-hmm. with a company that you know and trust mm-hmm. to take you someplace mm-hmm. like like that, take you down to go to Canopy tours well, and or go things to things you're not familiar with yeah. too, language I mean, barriers, yeah, yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And there are also tours within the United States that you would still want to have a guide. That's for sure. Like mm-hmm. the you, famous Chicken Run, I did that one once. You travel, you travel like fifteen hundred to two thousand miles in a little over a week to cover all the, the chicken oh. legs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know the grouse and the That's prairie chickens. Yeah. That's one nobody wants to do on your own. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, it's a lot of trying mm-hmm. to figure stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> So in all your years of guiding, um, what's been your experience guiding as a woman in the U.S. and, you know, <laughs> that abroad? <laughs> well, um, there aren't many of us. Um, and I'm still scratching my head about that one, and I will continue to. I've seen women leaders come and go. Um, seen men leaders come and go, too. And, it, and um, it's a lifestyle that's difficult. And... Um, I've somehow managed to succeed because 
I live in Cape May, you know, and I've been exposed to it. And um, it's hard to believe I managed to do all that. Now I'm thinking, like, I got my degree, <laughs> I raised two kids, and I'm a, I somehow managed to <laughs> do the tour leading thing. It's, it's a tough profession. You know, I was telling some people this morning that, you know, the, not only you have the, the barrier of not getting a substantial income to make a living to support your family, but you also, you know, just, you don't, if you have a, a partner and you're all, you know, you don't see them very much. Mm-hmm. And if you want to raise children, then it's really hard. So, you know, it's, it's tough. There are, you know, Megan um, with Field Guides. She's really awesome. She's risen to the top. Roseanne Rollette with Field Guides. There's me. <laughs> um, and, and there are a few others out there. There really are. Um, and who consider themselves to be full-time. And there are a lot of part-time leaders. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and that's that's a way to do it, too. You know, we can do part-time and you yeah. know, get the best of both worlds. Yeah, just have, have some other job and then... Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm really good. I, I tell people I could not really... I mean, in order to be full-time with the company I work for, you don't have to work, you know, 300 and some days a year. It only requires around 100 days a year. So oh, I am okay. still am able to do my artwork and spend time, some time at home. So yeah. it, it, it's it's good. You know, it, it's worked out really but, well. But, for but me. those hundred days are pretty exhausting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yes. We're, we're we're doing here at the festival five, yeah. but oh it's gosh. still yeah. And and imagine that. And um, I'm gonna be frank with you. When you're leading a tour, your skill is important, but you also have to be an excellent problem solver. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, you know, I've had my experience as a mother, my experience as a waitress, yes, I waitressed, <laughs> many years. And, you know, in my, of course, my experience as a naturalist, you have to all blend that together. And you are on, on 24 hours a day when you're a tour leader, because you're responsible for the lives of those people. Yeah. And um, if anything goes wrong, you're, res- you know, you have to think on your feet really fast. So, yeah. De- de- definitely. And that's what moms do. <laughs> <laughs> do you and Michael ever get to lead tours together? All the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's our preference. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we used to do more separate, but, you know, as I've gotten older and he's gotten older, we've realized that we kind of, we work really well together. Mm-hmm. And that's our preference. And, uh, you know, we that's what we do. That's great. You're able uh, to do yeah. that. Yeah, we, yeah. we can kind of fill in each other's gaps as we go. It works out. <laughs> it, it, it helps lighten the load too. If, yes. if you're able to play off of each other and yes. just keep and it. And you know exactly. each other that well yes. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've led with other leaders, and they're they're all great, and I've learned from them. But you know, Michael's my yeah, he's my husband and uh, there, my mentor, a and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I also we wanted to ask: um, Do you feel that within guiding either? within festivals or as, as a whole of at the guiding companies, um, Advent and Wings and all, the, all those, um, is there any particular barriers that um, women face that men don't face? Or... Gosh, yeah. Or that, uh, like, education things that... Sexism so, reigns. I'm, I'm sorry, it does. Yeah. I mean, I experience it all the time. A lot of times I just brush it off. And Cape May, I'm lucky everybody knows who I am at yeah. this point. But when I go to a place like when I was up in Mickey Marsh, 
on my own walk and on the boardwalk and I point out a bird, people don't really listen. It, it, you know, they have to listen to me for a little while before they like go, oh, I guess she really does know her stuff. But if a man were talking the same way, they'd go like, oh, it's yeah. crazy. It happened yesterday. You know, it, it, it happens every day. Hmm. If I'm with people who don't know me, they don't, like, I have to prove to them first that mm -hmm. I know what I'm talking about. And I don't think men necessarily have to do that. I it's, have definitely experienced I hate that. to say it, but it's true. Yeah. And, and there are more women birders out there than men. <laughs> I, I don't, well, yeah, you know, festival, and, you yeah. know, and I'm getting older now, and then and not only am I going to have the sexism problems, I'm also going to have the people with bias against people who are older. I hate to say it, but that's true, too. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get harder. It's not going to get any easier. Yeah. But, you know, we also teach young kids, and that keeps me young. <laughs> <laughs> I have two youth camps that I do with Michael in the summer for Victor. We have mm -hmm. uh, Camp Chiricahua and Camp Cascades, and each camp is 12 days long, and we get out there and we we take 14 kids and we, we travel around with them and um, we teach them about everything, yeah. well, mostly birds, but I, we, I try to throw in everything because I'm an all-around naturalist. And well, it, it's it a helps lot of make fun. everything rounded. To... Yeah. But, you know, it's funny. It's mostly boys. And I think a lot of it is, is the, the parents don't necessarily want to let their girls go out in the wild hmm. when they're teenagers, but uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> as I said, I still scratch my head a lot about this stuff. I haven't totally figured it out. Though at this festival, you probably met Victoria, the young birder, 15-year-old. She's awesome, and she's going to be great. There are a lot of young women who are awesome birders. And you've met Marky. Yeah. She was, uh, yeah. We've had her at two youth camps, and now uh -huh. she's at LSU. Uh, you know, there are you know, a lot of great examples of young women birders. But oh, you'll, at that teenage age, when they're, they're out hunting and, and listing, you're going to run across a lot more boys. <laughs> yeah. So have you, over, like you said, sexism's alive and, and thriving doing well. or whatever, uh, whatever it's doing. I hate doing. to say, well, but, you know, our, I don't want to get politics, but yeah, it, it, you know it's there. Yeah. yeah. So well, in, in the years, though, have you noticed a change? Is, is there anything yes. going toward, towards the yeah, I think so. positive bright light at yeah. the end of the tunnel sort of yeah, situation? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think I think there's there, a long ways to. Yeah, it it's, hasn't progressed as fast as I would have hoped, but it's we definitely are getting getting there. I mean, I get the same pay as my fellow leaders. That's that's, great. that's something. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely. And and there's you know there's no question about that. Yeah. Now that wasn't always the case, hmm. but um, you know, and uh, you probably at the festival as you walked around, did you talk to Herbert at all? From Africa, not this. We year. didn't talk. We past. talked to him in, in yeah, years from back Uganda. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. got a big program going with uh, training women, mm -hmm. um, so uh, to be naturalists, which is great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's a whole there's, school together yeah. that's fit for that. Yeah, yeah. So it's we we'll get there. It's just taking. I'm, I'm a little impatient, but we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> but I find this festival very supportive of uh, women. There are more women leaders at this festival than any other one I've been to. That's great. great. Yeah. Mary is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she, she definitely runs a tight ship amazing. and keeps things going. You know, the, the choice of leaders, you can see that she's gone out of her way to um, show diversity. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. I like it. <laughs> <laughs>
thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. You're we welcome. really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we look forward to coming to Cape May and bothering you You're sometime. You're welcome. Up there. <laughs> anytime. You know, well, we travel, but you have my card. Yes, Come I see do. us anytime. Yes. And we'll be happy to show you around. Sounds great. <laughs> So thank you so much to Louise. Um, she was fascinating. Like you said, I mean, yeah. with anybody, we can do episodes and episodes and episodes oh and just gosh. talk all day long. Easily. <laughs> um, but I thought she had some really great insight since she's been in the field for so long mm -hmm. and also is just um, an integral part of the community. You know, she's really deep in there, knows a lot of folks, and has had so many experiences that she can share with us about what it's like to be a woman in the field and just as a field guy in general and working with kids and yeah, everything. So we're so happy she joined us. So thank you so much, Louise, for sitting down with us. I just did want to clarify something. I don't know if anyone else heard me or noticed it. Was it was super inconsiderate. It was awkward. But <laughs> um, so at one point, um, Louise, Louise said something about uh, getting overlooked um, for other male guides and just being ignored turn to or not even male guides but other males in the group that she said that she was at mickey marsh and she had to like like prove herself before people, people would listen to her yeah. yeah so i i i have noticed this from the male <laughs> side and the way he said it made it sound like he's yeah. had the same thing happen to him yeah it's that's not happening so the, the opposite has happened to me for sure where there is either Hannah with me or we'd be on on an Audubon trip with a local guide that she really knows her stuff and people would turn to me because I'm tall and male. I was going to say, I think it's because you're tall. I'm, I'm tall, I'm male. Command I have, attention. I have a loud voice. You're obnoxious. All, all of these things put together, <laughs> like good looking, great sounding voice, all of those things. <laughs> Super handsome. Yeah, all, all of those put together, but... Or because they're like, how does that, that ugly guy's got to have something. He's got to know something. Wow. I don't know. One <laughs> way or the other. But I, I have been, I, ha, I have been like asked questions and had to be like, I don't know, Hannah, what is the answer to this? Because she's the one that knows or the guide, whatever the guy, like I have to direct it back. Like I'm, I'm not the leader here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Hannah knows what's going on or Whoever this, whoever's leading us, they're the one that knows what's going on. Just because I'm, just because I'm a guy, doesn't mean I know what's going on. Like, I'm along this trip with the rest of you. So I think it's one because you're a guy, and two because you're tall. People trust tall people. It's a well, thing. Well, tr tall people are trustworthy. That's that's a known fact. No, it's not. I'm pretty <laughs> sure one of the most famous serial killers was Ed Kemper. Whoever Drew Carey's brother played. Mm -hmm. I think it was Ed Kemper. Yeah, whoever. He yeah. was in a movie and he like portrayed a famous serial killer. He was like really tall. Yeah. Very trustworthy too. He did kill I'd get, a lot I'd, of women. I would get into a van with that guy. Wow. He's not, Eric is not a smart man, y'all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyways, so, so that I just wanted to clarify that. That I, I have seen it from, from the male side that, yeah, people have come to me and made me feel, give, given me a self-inflated like ego about like I'm better than I am but I'm not I they're just coming to me for like sexism reasons or, or something like that I don't I don't know so anyways yeah, anyways um the last but not least person that we interviewed was Doris from Peru yeah and it was just kind of funny that in the last episode we at the Rio Grande Valley Burning Festival we talked about how I had messaged somebody on Facebook and said, hey, can I include you on our website? And she was like, yeah. And then she happened to be in my van for one of the tours at the festival, which was funny. Anyways, 
she is a guide in Peru, and mm -hmm. we wanted to talk to her and get her opinion and her perspective as to what it's like to guide in uh, in, in Peru. Yeah, in Peru, not and America. Then, no, yeah, some, someone that's not that's either a local guide that people come to find or just a, a guide in Peru. So somewhere outside of the states. Yeah. So thank you, Doris, and enjoy. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Doris, for um, sitting down with us for a few minutes. Um, could you just take a minute or two and tell us about yourself and your work and how long you've been birding and how long you've been guiding, kind of that whole story? Uh, well, um, my name is Doris. I'm from Cusco in Peru, and I've been a tour guide almost 20 years now. Wow. But birding around 15 years. And uh, I started my guiding job in the Peruvian Amazon. I used to work at a few lodges as a naturalist resident guide. And then I was a park ranger in the Mano National Park, which is a very large uh, conservation area in southeastern Peru. And at first I was just general natural history, but as in my work I started seeing all these birders, looking at birds very carefully and doing the bird list every night, and I kind of got interested. And I started looking at birds differently. Um, I have two kids. My, my kids are nature enthusiasts as well. My older son, Mayu, who's 12 now, he goes birding with me. Hmm. And I'm also uh, involved with a reforestation and environmental education project north of Cusco in the Cloud Forest close to Machu Picchu with my husband and other people. Wow. And we've been doing that for 10 years now. Wow, oh my gosh. We've planted a lot of trees and talked to a lot of kids about the important conservation of that particular habitat in the Cloud Forest. And I enjoy spending time in the woods really a lot and I like to go to places where I can always see new birds. Yeah. So with the reforestation, do you have kids come out to do like field trips out to, yes, to take, take know, a look at the whole area? Yes, this project we have is called the Pacha Conservancy Project. Pacha is the Quechua native language in the Andes of Peru for the earth. Okay. So Pacha Conservancy, we've named this project that way and we are working now in an area that is 105 acres big. Okay. And we hope to incorporate more land of our neighbors in this particular valley called the Lucumayu to expand our uh, reforestation program. So with hmm. the kids basically in the valley, this particular valley is only three and a half hours north of, northwest of Cusco driving. Now the road is paved. When we started, it wasn't paved, so it would take long. <laughs> so all day to get there? All day to it get back? It was a long drive, yeah. <laughs> so now uh, we work with the kids. What we do basically is we invite a particular school. Uh, we've identified the school population in that valley of 1,500 kids. We might have talked to a, a third of them already. And we invite them on a field trip, and we obviously we always ask them to come with their with a teacher. You know, the group comes to our place, uh, and then we spend a whole morning doing just playing games about water cycle, uh, the importance of the forest in that particular area. Mm -hmm. I I take them on a on a on a walk to see birds. Uh, we have some binoculars that we were. And, you know, we were kind, uh, lucky enough to be donated by the American Birding Association. They have a program called Birds Exchange. And we got some binoculars and some field guides and a scope. So I would take the kids looking at birds. Then we have a very large orchid garden. So they look at the orchids uh, closely with magnifying glass and stuff like that because a lot of them don't, can't tell the difference between an orchid and a regular flower. And then, you know, we might have a snack for them. And in, so depending on the time of year, which usually around November, December, if we do have kids that time of day, we might do some tree planting with them as well. So we spend the morning and then the kids will go back to their community. 
So, and then we, I do that with Carlos, uh, my husband, and then we have other volunteers, which are biologists mainly from the Cusco University of the Biology Department that offer, you know, they offer their time as volunteers yeah. to do this project. And we've been doing this for various years now, and this year we didn't do as many because we haven't been able to find uh, economical support from the local authorities to continue our ongoing uh, educational program. So, so far, we do it when we can and the time is available. So we might, we're planning to kind of start all over again next year. Mm -hmm. But we do that with the children and basically we want them to realize the very important habitat they live at and what is around them because these kids are totally unaware of their surroundings and they live in a very beautiful place. We have the river, the forest, there's lots of wonderful birds and there's a spectacle there, um, you <laughs> know, cool. that you could see up in the mountains if you just take your time to do a little exploration. And those kids are completely unaware of where they live. So mm. we want them to realize, you know, the kind of place they live and their privilege and they should, you know, protect it and they are, because they live there. It's yeah. their home. So that's what we've been doing. And the place where we are working besides educational programs and the reforestation is also open to research. We get periodically students that have are been doing their seminars or pre-tests for the university about orchids, birds, bats, different things. And, you know, the place is open to whoever wants to come. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. Yeah. So in addition to all that, you also guide trips, right? Yes. What's I, your favorite trip that you guide? I you think like my favorite place. <laughs> we <laughs> talk a lot about adventure, so that's why. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the place I enjoy the most is southeastern Peru, the Amazon. Uh, it's the Manu National Park. You have to drive to get there. Uh, it's a combination of driving, and then you travel on the river by boat. And we stay at different elevations in different lodges. So the place offers a very a tremendous variety of habitats. So you can see a lot of birds in different habitats. So you kind of make your way from the Andes down into the Amazonian lowlands. So I enjoyed that trip very much, and also Northern Peru, which is a new route in the Tarapoto and San Martin region, where there's a lot of endemics, and they did a very good job about feeding amphitas, which are very oh. hard mm. to see otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> and you can go to places now where you will see these birds that otherwise there's no way you can see them. And it's really, and then you can see the marvelous spatula tail, and wow. compared to Manu, it's a much easier access, easier place to get to because the road is paved and oh, yeah. but the good thing is that a lot of communities have been incorporated into ecotourism and it's working very well and I can see the difference you know now from hunters now people plant trees and some of these loggers where you know the now they are conservationists and it's very important the work that has been done by various Peruvian non-profit with the help like of the American Bird Conservancy the Betty Moore Foundation and other organization and they are working, is, is working very well. So those two places, Northern Peru and Southeastern Peru are my favorite. That sounds amazing. Right. So, so you said you've seen, you've seen changes over the years of people doing farming and forestry and now they're going back to re reforestation and stuff like that? Yes. Have, have you seen like big changes like that in like guiding, like where people are changing styles of guiding, changing like places they go because of the reforestation? And stuff well, like that. you know, now with birding in Peru, when I started my birding job, uh, there were very few guys that did birding because very few companies used to do birding. Uh, it was mainly, you know, you want to see the Amazon, general natural history, but birding specifically, no, very little. 
So now, over the years, birding has become a very important part of ecotourism. In That's Peru. good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, but it's still, you know, it's still very new. So nowadays, even these days, that birding has become important in Peru and the state institution that promotes Peru as a as a desti tourist destination outside Peru is paying more attention to birding as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, you know, a lot of universities or technological institutes where most of the guides come from do not have programs for birding or natural history at all. Hmm. So that is, you know, if you want to be a bird guy, you either have to spend a lot of time in the field on your own or just do your own, uh, you know, learning because no place teaches that Talking. field. It's hmm. completely new. So uh, I have been part of, you know, programs for to train guides in, into birding. Oh, wow. And we've, I've tried to focus on women, but somehow women were not as interested. That is changing, and it's a good thing because then I can get to go and bird with other women. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise it's just men. Because so far in Peru, at least, the birding jobs are mainly done by men. They're all men. You know, there's no birding. There are some girls that are starting to go birding, but they do it as a hobby. They, I don't think they think that that could be a job in mm -hmm. a close future. But I, I feel that that's changing because every year you have like made the big, the global big day. And when I started doing this, no one really gathered to go birding. Now there are groups and there's lots of people getting organized and they're going here and there. And a lot of women are part of those groups. And that's really good. That's really know. good, yeah. Yeah, that is changing. And I'm glad it is really changing. And that has to be just because there's more people coming and the best part is that uh, birders, you know, they use facilities that have to do with conservation. So they are bringing in income to protect these places. And it's a good thing. It's a whole chain, you know. It's moving people that are involved in conservation, people that are learning. And, you know, more people are aware that Peru is a, a hot spot for birding. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's beautiful. I can't wait to final, <laughs> finally go down to Peru and, oh, yes, you and experience down. it all. <laughs> so um, before we had started recording, you were talking about how women, um, in your experience that you've noticed, are maybe a little bit more detail-oriented when they're birding, or um, what can what can women bring to the table, you know, to help um, be in a little bit better of a playing field with men, at least in, like, Peru? Or what are we like, lacking because there aren't more women guides? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I will say that, you know, uh, over the years, because I started my company 10 years ago now, uh, what I women bring in is, you know, we bring a personal touch. Okay. I think we, we hear customers more attentively. You know, we really want to know what they want and, you know, do our best to provide what they're looking for. Uh, we have more patience to show them the birds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if some women, because I've been, I've taken women only on birding trips. So, uh, you know, I make sure they all see the bird. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't just go, okay, next bird. No, I really want to make sure they all enjoy the bird. And uh, over the years, I've been with people that are either hardcore birders, that are listers, or others that they want to do a list, but they want to enjoy it, really see the bird yeah. well. Mm -hmm. So I really take my time to make sure that they, they I fulfill their expectations. Uh, in my building career, I have worked with a lot of men, and I can tell that a lot of them do not have the patience to show people the birds. You know, they see the bird, you didn't see it, sorry. We gotta move to the next bird. So I try to, you know, if I, so a lot, that's why, you know, a lot of my trips, I mean, most of my trips are customized to people's needs. I haven't been, I've tried to run fixed departures for some of my trips, 
didn't take me anywhere. So I realized that customized birding is what I have to do. People mm -hmm. tell me what they want to do, how, how they want to do it, for how long, and what they are expecting to see. And I will put a trip together for them according to what they want. And then, yeah, and then the trip is run better. I think is is what they really looking for because with a fixed trip, is that's what it is, and you cannot change it. Well, um, thank you so much for for sitting down and talking to us about what it's like to bird in Peru as a woman, and um, all the amazing work that you've done to to get kids involved and to reforest a lot of these areas that are fantastic birding locations. Yeah, they're, yeah. Um, well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, please come and visit me in Peru. Oh, we're definitely, happy. We're, we're Facebook friends, so we can, yeah. yes. we can yeah, connect great. and we can definitely. get down there. Oh yeah, because you know, the project, we, we have camping grounds and a wooden cabin and anyone could come and the bird in there, I made a list of 182 species of birds. <laughs> oh my wow. And we have two endemics. They're wow. right in the garden. Really? A hummingbird and the Inca wren. That's amazing. All right. and, we got to get because, down there. And, you know, and just two weeks ago, I took a lady from Seattle to the project because, you know, now we started bringing in. I, I started, I designed this tour that includes the Urubamba Valley, which everyone is familiar with because it takes you eventually to Machu Picchu. But this other valley we're working on is on the east. So there's the valley where Machu Picchu is. There's this huge mountain, and we are on this other valley. Okay. Yeah, and it's a cloud forest, the same elevation. And um, so the trees we've planted, it's called the Lucumayu Valley. The trees I planted eight, about eight, nine years ago. Some of them are good size now. And there's one tree, one particular one that I planted close to the house, close enough so if anything comes, we'll be able to see it in the laurel family, the avocado family. And those two weeks ago that I was with Mrs. Kelly, uh, we were in the garden and she was asking, oh, do you think we still have chances to see the cock of the rock? Because we were leaving that morning. And I said, yes, I hope we do, because a day before we saw it in the garden, but it was a very quick look. And then I realized this onion cockroach came to this particular tree that we planted <laughs> that is already in front, and it was right there. Wow. That's, so the that's birding fantastic. is really good. Lot. And then we have this very large orchid garden. Um, this biologist did the inventory for it. took us a year to know what exactly blooms every month. Jeez. So we did a, a blooming calendar, what blooms in January. Every, it took oh, a year so to do cool. that. And every orchid we have in the garden has been labeled. And where did those orchids came from? When we started the project, the road was dirt. When they paved it, in, starting in 2011, it went all to like 2016, they had to expand the road because it was narrow. Mm -hmm. And when they did that, they, so much habitat was destroyed. The bulldozers came and scraped out the mountain sides, and there were tons of orchids. We rescued those orchids, and they were replanted hmm. in the project you know, to recreate the, the humidity, the shade, the sun. And we have this very large orchid garden now. We have 180 species and over 400 individuals. Wow. So Amen. the orchid garden is also used an education, as an educational tool with the children that we bring into the project. So you have to come and visit me. Yeah, definitely. It just great, wonderful. We'll have a good time. We oh, can, yeah. I can show you all the birds there. Okay, we'll plan it. We'll definitely do it. Yes, you have to come. I'll be waiting. <laughs> Well, thank you, Doris, for sitting down with us and after a long, exhausting day of guiding, <laughs> sitting down with us to talk all about uh, what it's like to guide in Peru. Yeah, it was fascinating. I really want to go check out where she guides and see all those orchids in the garden. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I can't wait to finally book our trip to Peru so we can go check. was 105 acres. Of, uh, yeah. That's a lot of restoration area. Yeah, which is yeah. amazing that they're doing this sort of work and working to protect these places that we hope to go and you know, it sounds so wonderful. 
Yeah, seriously. Other than, you know, deforestation and all that. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and other exciting things other than just more birds. Yeah. Just other stuff in general to go see down there. And we want to thank everybody that joined us. Um, Lori, she guides with JV Journeys and the Travis Audubon Society. Um, Louise guides with Victor Emanuel Nature Tours. And uh, Doris, she guides down in Peru. Um, you, we ha- we'll have contact information for all, all three of these uh, women on our um, both on our website, and we'll we'll put some uh, links into our show notes as to how to get in contact with them if you want to hire them to go guiding with them, or hire them, or contact them and see if they know somebody else in the area that would would do what they're doing. And if you want to um, share with us any experiences you might have had as a a woman field guide, or you know, if you wanted to, but you didn't know how or anything like that, please feel free to reach out to us. We want to help bridge that gap as best as we can. Um, I'm hoping to write another blog post or article or expose or whatever I want to call it uh, <laughs> in the next couple of weeks that has some information from the guiding companies and maybe, maybe demystify or keep saying that word, what it is <laughs> to be a guide. Because I think a lot of it is that we just don't necessarily know. And I, you know, this is not scientific at all, but somebody did post that women want to know 100% of what they're doing before they do it. And men, you know, want to know like 20% of what it is before they do it. I, of course, that is not the case with everybody, but I know that I feel less comfortable doing something if I don't know that much about it. Um, and Eric will jump into it, even if he doesn't know anything about it. I'll figure it out on the fly. So, <laughs> so um, Yeah. So take it for what it is. Take it with a grain of salt. But we're hoping that we get more information so we can bridge this gap and hopefully encourage more women to get out there and uh, guide as well as bird. Because I think that birding is awesome and I want everybody to participate yeah. in it. And the more people that are doing it, the more people that are doing it better. You know, it's it's English. It's my first language, but it's okay. Um, so anyways, um, coming up for us, we, we have a couple things, um, in a couple weeks we're headed down to San Diego mm-hmm. and Disneyland. Yeah. So if you want to go birding <laughs> with us, I think we'll be in San Diego, December 18th through the 20th. Um, we did get a couple leads for where to go, uh, yeah. from somebody from world girl birders. I think it was Mandy sent me a message about it, but if you have any tips or if you want to go birding with us or grab a beer or something, let us know. We'd be happy yeah, to meet we'll, you. We'll be around for a couple days in San Diego and then, uh. And then, like I said, don't Disney, bother Disneyland. us in Disneyland. We've got Disney stuff to take care of. All yeah, I'm sorry. So. I got to see the Star Wars world. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, in February, we're going to be guiding at the San Diego Bird Festival. Yes. So super essentially doing that. a scouting trip in a couple weeks and then San Diego Bird Festival afterwards. So in February, San Diego Bird Festival, biking and birding. Um, we're also doing a few workshops uh, while we're there. Um, the May in, in May, we're doing the Indiana Dunes uh, Birding Festival also. Um, we might be combining that with a couple... A couple other things, Great Texas Birding Classic. Uh, maybe the biggest week. Maybe the biggest week in birdings. We'll 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 probably we'll be we'll so figure busy. that out like the day yeah. before it happens. Yeah, you know, so. while we're buying tickets. Yeah, <laughs> the day before. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's all that. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope that you learned something and might I don't know encourage you to hope you enjoy learn it too. more. Yeah, that's it. Um, thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something. Like I said. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. Also, Podchaser is a great place to review us. Um, and anywhere else. Sometimes we don't find them. I happened upon a review from April. 
the other day on CastBox because I don't look at CastBox uh, very frequently. So I'm sorry if I missed any of your reviews. Um, but please let us know if you did. If you'd like to connect with us, please follow us on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Hannah Goes Birding, and Eric's is Eric Goes, Eric Birding. goes Birding. Eric with a K, Hannah with an H. <laughs> on Twitter, we're We Go Birding. And That's just We Go Birding. We don't have to H and K and all that stuff on that one. No, it's not as confusing. <laughs> um, on Facebook, we're Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. And we have our website, www gobirdingpodcast.com tell us what you hated tell us what you liked and share us with your friends so we're hoping you guys have happy holidays coming up and we look forward to seeing you soon